Welcome to the Sheep Connect New South Wales podcast. It's time for you. A podcast produced for the sheep industry by Sheep Connect New South Wales. Hi, I'm Fiona MacArthur, a network coordinator for Sheep Connect New South Wales. The Sheep Extension Network in New South Wales, which is fully funded by Australian Wool Innovation. Sheep Connect New South Wales has a membership of over 4,000 and our main aim is to help keep you and your sheep business up to date on information about all things sheep. We are pleased to have you join us this season for our winter edition of It's Time For You. With over 65,000 listens on our podcast, we thank you for joining us. It doesn't seem to matter what time of the year it is, we still get caught out with worms in our sheep flock. This is because if conditions are right, which seems to be the case at the moment in some parts of our state, these unwelcome guests make the most of the opportunity. In this episode of It's Time For You, I'm joined by Dr. Matt Playford to talk about the biology behind why worms are so advantageous and how we can use this knowledge to help control them. Matt grew up in Cowra in the central tablelands of New South Wales and after extensive travel and study, Matt has been a veterinary consultant for 17 years and is the director of Dorbutts Proprietary Limited, a company that runs a parasitology laboratory and conducts research on behalf of the livestock industries. Welcome, Matt, and thank you for joining me on It's Time For You. Thanks, Fiona. It's a pleasure. Matt, let's kick off by identifying the main worms that we see across the sheep grazing areas of Australia. Okay, so there's four that we really should be thinking about. Barber's pole worm, also known as Haemonchus, the small brown stomach worm, which is Teledosagia, and that's equivalent to Ostatagia in cattle. Then we've got the black scour worm, which is Trichostrongolus. And then the fourth one I think we should actually be looking at is Nematodirus, the thin-necked intestinal worm. And Matt, are the life cycles of each of these worms the same? Yep, they all have a direct life cycle. They don't rely on an intermediate host and um, they've got a very similar uh, life cycle with a few uh, little tweaks along the way. For example, um, the um, barber's pole worm and the brown stomach worm like to live in the abomasum, which is the fourth stomach. But the black scour worm like to live in the small intestine and so do the nematodirus worms. So there's a few little differences inside the sheep Outside the sheep, there's a few as well. Matt, we'll get to them um, a little bit further on in the podcast, but first off, how can the length of the life cycle differ between each of these species? Well, this is the the key difference in between species. For um, some worms, the length of time they take to develop outside the sheep can be very, very long. It can take up to half a year whereas others will develop very rapidly under the right conditions and be ready to infect the sheep again after only about four days. And then once they enter the sheep, the time between when they've actually been eaten by the sheep and when they lay eggs that appear in the dung themselves 
ranges from 14 days is the earliest for uh, nematodirus worms, but most of the worms are about 21 days. Matt, before we move on to looking at management strategies, which I'm sure our listeners are really looking forward to hearing about, it's really important that we understand this life cycle and the different components to it and how it's affected. So can we talk a little bit about now how the climatic conditions will affect egg survival and then the hatching of eggs, which is what sort of happens first? Yeah, good point. So the first thing is egg survival. For some species, like barber's pole worm, if the eggs are dropped into very cold weather and it's too cold for them to develop, they'll only last five days. But the other worms, the ones that are a bit more cold adapted, like um, brown stomach worm, black scow worm, they will last 16 days. And the nematodirus, because they've got a great big thick-shelled um, egg, they'll last even longer. And then the things that determine whether they hatch or whether they perish are simply uh, warmth, oxygen and moisture. And if you don't have those three conditions in place, then the eggs will just um, die out and they won't hatch into larvae. Matt, if some of our listeners would like to know more intricate details about those temperature and moisture requirements for the egg survival and hatching, where could they go to find that for the different species? Well, the best place would be Wormboss. And if they go to uh, wormboss.com.au, they'll find a website that has a feast of information about all these subjects. Great. And Moving on then to larval development, how important are the same conditions that you just spoke about, temperature and moisture? Yeah, they're critical. Um, larval development really determines the amount of contamination you get on pasture. And so, for example, um, barber's pole worm, they like warm, moist conditions and their ideal uh, development and survival through to the infective stage is at 27 and a half degrees. Now that contrasts with um, the black scour worm, um, Trichostrongylus vitrinus, which is found in Victoria and Tasmania, which has an ideal development of only 13 degrees. So big difference between those worms. And is that the same for the four other species? And uh, are there particular worms that really like the cold? Yeah, they all have their um, particular likes. Brown stomach worm uh, really do like um, temperature about 19.5 degrees. And the black scour worm found in northern New South Wales, they're very much like um, barber's pole worm. Their favourite temperature is about 26.5 degrees. But just bear in mind, even when they are developing at low temperatures at 5 to 10 degrees, they're taking... 22 days to develop through to the infective stage compared to only three to four days when they're at their hot, uh, hotter temperatures. Matt, once the larvae have hatched onto the pasture, how long can they survive if the sheep don't come along and ingest them? Well, that really depends on how moist it is and in particular how warm it is. 
because these um, larvae that are on pasture, we call them third stage larvae, the infective stage, they can't eat and so they can't recharge their energy resources at all. They just have to rely on the stores that they've got from when they were first and second stage larvae inside the faecal pad. And so if you warm them up, they'll have very rapid activity and they'll run out of energy very, very quickly. But if you keep them cool, they'll survive up to a year. And we've got um, larvae in the fridge um, at the Dorbert slab that are more than a year old and they're still hale and hearty. Yeah, that's incredible, isn't it? So then once they're ingested, you just said that they um, they don't eat when they're on the pasture, but once they're ingested, they obviously get a food source then inside the animal. So how long can they survive once they're in there and start to reproduce? Well, a good example is barber's pole worm, which have been known to survive at least a year inside the animal. And they actually cheat. They suck the blood out of the animal, whereas the other worms um, just uh, absorb nutrients across their skin. So uh, the barber's pole worm definitely have an advantage there. And that's a good lead into my next question, which was going to be the difference, Matt, between the number of eggs each of the species lay. And, and we all know homonchus lay a lot of eggs, and that's why they're such a productive little worm in our environment. Is that because that they're sucking the blood versus absorbing nutrients? Yep, that's exactly why. The um, vampires aren't stupid, they're onto something. There's uh, a lot of nutrition in the bloodstream. And so the um, barber's pole worms get onto the highest level of nutrition and that means they can not only get a large volume of feed, they can digest it and turn those um, uh, those nutrients into eggs. So they'll, they'll produce up to 10,000 eggs per day. I think on average, it's closer to about 3,000 eggs per day. Now, that contrasts with um, some of the other worms, such as um, your brown stomach worm, might only um, produce about 50 to 100 eggs per day, and your nematodirus, that thin-necked intestinal worm, only 25. And Matt, once the um, larvae come into the sheep and then they start to reproduce and start to lay eggs, what factors are affecting that inside the sheep? Well, the first one is the age of the sheep. And um, that, uh, that means that if the sheep are very young, they're very susceptible. And there's two parts of that. One is um, simply that older sheep can't be infected with some worms such as nematodirus. They, they really don't like adult sheep. And the second reason is immunity. And once sheep have been exposed to worms for a period of time, and it might be only 12 to 14 weeks for barber's pole worms, it might be um, 18 months for um, brown stomach worm, they develop immunity. And that means that it's harder for the incoming worms to mature and establish. Um, some of the established worms will actually be swept away because of the immunity. And also the females find it harder to lay eggs. And so they lay less eggs per female per day. And Matt, do all sheep have the same level of immunity or are there different 
factors that affect the level of immunity a sheep can have? Um, so if you look at a mob of sheep, there'll be genetic differences between each sheep in the mob, and some will have very high immunity and others will have low. And um, that's part of the um, selection process um, that uh, is used for um, ASBVs, for example, where we test um, every animal and uh, compare them against each other. Some have a high worm egg count, others have a low. And in New Zealand, there's another test called CARLA, where they actually measure the saliva antibodies against worms. And that also gives, it's a, it's a different indication, but it's a parallel indication on the genetic merit of that individual animal in its ability to fight off worms. Now, as well as their genetic um, capability to fight off worms, sheep will vary a lot according to their body condition score, and in particular, their metabolic status. So for example, lactating ewes find it very hard to fight worms because they're putting all their energy into producing milk for the lamb. And is their body condition score that you just mentioned there, that is that affecting immunity through obviously nutrition, um, but is there different components of nutrition that are important? Yes, and in particular, we're talking about um, protein uh, concentration and energy concentration. So if sheep are lacking in either of those, they will find it very hard to fight off the worms. The vitamins and minerals also play a role, but they're secondary to energy and protein. When we're still talking about the development of larvae mat inside the sheep once it's ingested, do they always go on and complete their life cycle straight away? Um, actually, no. Some um, larvae decide to take a bit of a holiday, and this is called hypobiosis. Now, almost all worms will do this to some extent, except the black scour worms, and they always develop straight through. So Matt, we've spoken then about the biology of the worms, and it's not a wonder that producers have such a struggle on their hands trying to get on top of them because it's they, they seem to change their mind about what they're doing as soon as we work out what they're doing when is how does all of this biology that we've just gone through how does that affect the way we can then manage what can we do with it okay well there's a lot of um buttons that you can push to improve the um the uh, the killing of the worm larvae on pasture and also to prevent them from being deposited in the first place and um, they they range from pasture management animal management treatments um, yeah various um, various tools if we're going to look at preparing pastures and part of that is going to be trying to minimise the number of larvae that we have on the pastures and putting the right animals on there. But how do we know if a paddock's contaminated or not to start with? Is that the first port of call? It definitely is, Fiona. It's really important that whenever we look at a paddock and we see grass, that we can imagine the worms that are on the grass. Now this is this is critical because often we look at the grass and we think, oh well, what's the palatability, what's the digestibility, what's the 
you know, what's the energy content, protein content, but a critical component of that grass for animal health um, management is how many worms are on the on the on the grass. And there's a lot of research being done to measure the number of worms, but it's very, very tedious, very expensive to do. And it involves going out, chopping the grass, washing it, and counting the number of larvae that are sitting there. And we've done some of this research around Camden and we found up to 40,000 larvae per kilogram of dry matter of grass. And that means that an average sheep eats a kilogram of dry matter every day and they'll be ingesting, you know, 40,000 larvae. Now, it's not always that bad. Some of the um, lower contaminated pastures only had a few hundred or a few thousand, but it's not rare at all to find um, larval uh, contamination in the range of 10 to 20,000 larvae per kilogram of dry matter. As producers, can we get a feel for how um, contaminated our pasture is based on our worm egg count? Yeah, that's probably the, the easiest. And even though it's indirect, it does give you a, a good impression of how badly contaminated a paddock is. For example, if you had um, a paddock uh, where you had used grazing that had a worm egg count of uh, 300 eggs per gram and they were in there for a month and then you had um, cool weather, which was associated with good larval survival, you'd expect that paddock to be pretty hot, to be you know pretty, um, pretty highly contaminated for a period of at least uh, three months. So that's, a, that's a, a good indication. If you actually do worm egg counts of all your mobs, you can plot the length of time since the paddock was grazed, the length of time it was spelled, add in a few factors like the temperatures and the amount of moisture, uh, rainfall since the paddock was grazed, and you can create a traffic light system where each paddock either has a red light, meaning it's highly contaminated, an orange light, meaning it's on the way, or a green light, meaning it's ready for uh, susceptible animals such as lambs, weaners, or um, pregnant ewes. Matt, you just mentioned temperature and moisture on how that has an effect on how clean a paddock is. So it's obviously affecting the larvae that are surviving on that pasture. How long does it take for the larvae to die off? Well, under the right conditions, some of the larvae will still be there a year later. And so what we usually work on is the, um, the decay uh, curve for larvae. And we find that um, in, in really warm weather, 90% of the larvae die within three to four weeks. And then in cool weather, 90% of the larvae might take uh, up to four or five months to die, just depending on the particulars of how much shading there is and how much moisture there is. So working in between them, we can get a bit of an impression of um, how many larvae are left on that pasture. So if it's going to take even more than a year to clean our paddocks, there's no such thing as a clean paddock then, is there? No, we can only talk about um, the risk level of a paddock. And uh, it ranges from very high risk to very low risk, but it's never zero. So we've spoken about, Matt, 
how we can use our worm egg counts to help us determine what the pasture contamination might be on that paddock. And we know that now temperature and moisture will affect the survival of that larvae and help that larvae die off. What are some of the other management strategies that we can use to help clean that paddock up? Actually, during the webinar today, we heard a, um, a whole uh, array of different tools that producers are using, and um, they include rotating with cattle, um, choosing rams that have got negative um, ASBVs for WEC, using Barbavax, um, using Biowormer, which is a product um, containing fungus that kill uh, worm larvae within the dung pad, um, rotating pastures on short grazings, um, spelling pastures for long periods, as we've just talked about, using low stocking rate or um, low stocking density, uh, short joining periods so that you don't have lambs grazing on the paddocks that their mothers have contaminated, and drafting ewe um, mobs into earlies and lates and also into multiple singles and taking the dry use off. All strategies that can be used um, and they all have um, their place in our uh, management toolbox. Matt, one of the other things that came up in our webinar today, which I found really interesting, was the use of capsules and long acting to help clean up the paddocks. If we are mm -hmm. using them, how confident can we be that the paddocks are staying clean? And is there a certain recommendations around using those products? Look, historically, capsules and long acting injections have been very effective in cleaning up paddocks. And I say historically because going back probably 30 years for, um, for capsules and maybe a little bit shorter for long-acting injections, um, people have used them with very good effect. The only problem now is that there has been um, resistance built up to both long-acting injections and capsules, and we need to be a bit smarter about how we use them. And so as a general rule, You'd want to do a primer, which is an effective drench. And when I say effective drench, something that's going to work at 95% or better at the time of the LA injection. And then an exit drench, which is a drench to kill the resistant worms that are left behind by the long acting treatment once the worm egg count gets above 100 eggs per gram. So there's a lot in that. And just to unpack it, it means when you put in a capsule, uh, you do expect it to have a period where it'll be effective and then become less effective at the tail end. And so that's when you come in with a tail cutter when the worm egg count rises above 100 eggs per gram. And that's particularly important in the um, Hemonchus areas. If you have Barber's pole worm, um, then you need to be aware that the, the capsule itself or the long-acting injection may not kill the worms and you can actually have um, quite high um, worm burdens, uh, dangerously high worm burdens within a few weeks of that treatment. Where the capsules and the long-acting injections are still very effective is that they kill incoming larvae and so they give you that protection from contaminated pasture. 
And Matt, how often would you recommend doing a worm egg count test while using those long actives so that a producer could stay confident that their paddocks are staying clean? Well, we had one producer today who um, said that they were doing worm egg counts every three weeks when the ewes had long acting injection. And um, I can only say that's that's probably um, a reflection of how well they're managing the place because they actually had very good efficacy from their long acting injection. And it may mean that you know, they they simply don't need to give that um, extra drench if they've still got extremely low levels of worms at the end. So three weeks is probably best practice, but the key management situations we're talking about are lamb marking and weaning because most of these treatments are going into pregnant ewes. And so you'd be going in, going in maybe seven to 10 days before um, lamb marking and weaning and just checking what the worm egg counts are on the sheep so that when you do muster them and you've got them there, you can decide whether to give them a treatment or not. And Matt, once our producers have utilised as many of these um, tools that they have in order to clean up their paddocks, are there particular animals that we should be saving those paddocks for, those paddocks that we can get as clean as possible? Yes, um, the most susceptible animals on the farm are the weaners and the pregnant ewes, and so they should be getting um, top priority for the low-risk paddocks. And Matt, the whole process of cleaning up these paddocks to get them as low risk as possible obviously takes an awful lot of planning as you've hinted towards because of the length of time it takes to achieve the die off. Um, where can people go to for more information? Is that back to Worm Boss again to get more help with how to prepare these paddocks and how long it'll take? That's probably the um, the first port of call, Fiona. They go to Worm Boss, um, read up, maybe get some inspiration there. And then there are also uh, advisors and on the Worm Boss um, advisors page, you can click on that and um, find out who the people are in your area who may be able to give you more detailed local information. Yeah, that's excellent advice because it can be very confusing to work through all the different aspects of it. Thanks, Matt, once again for joining us on It's Time For You. My pleasure. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of It's Time For You the Sheep Connect New South Wales podcast. We'd appreciate it if you could share our podcast within your networks. And if you haven't done so already, subscribe to the AWI podcast, The Yarn. We'd love you to stay in contact with Sheep Connect New South Wales, and you can do this in a number of ways. Join our network by visiting www.sheepconnectnewsouthwales.com.au. Find us at Sheep Connect New South Wales on Facebook and Twitter. We look forward to seeing you at our workshops and events later in the year. Thanks again for joining us today. Bye for now.